Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Uh, today is Friday, April 21st. Uh, joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Doug, Erica, Tiffany, and Gabby. Hey, guys. Morning. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> so today, today we're talking about yoga. Yoga demystified. Um, we haven't. We have discussed yoga during shows, but we've never done a show on yoga. So we wanted to uh, to talk about it a little bit, especially considering since one of our hosts, uh, Eric, is a resident expert in yoga and has been teaching for some time. So this is going to be kind of a kind of a pseudo interview slash discussion. Let's see how it goes. Um, <clears throat> so I guess let's let's start by talking about what is yoga, because I think most people, you know, I think everybody knows the word yoga, but when they think about it, you know, they think laying on your back on a mat in, you know, some sort of commercial retail space downtown where there's a class going on, um, <laughs> th that kind of thing, uh, you know, and stretching, you know, and maybe a, sure like a little bit of mindfulness and stuff, like you have to pay attention to your body, but <clears throat> I think a lot of people don't really know the intricacies of yoga. I mean, I certainly don't. I'm, I'm learning now, but uh, I have recently just started doing some very, very basic yoga, like like super basic, just initial poses, you know, just trying to like stretch. Um, and to try to tie this together, I had told when we were talking before the show, I told Erica, like, well, my goal is to learn how to do the splits. Because I figured if you can do the splits, that would be a good marker for being really flexible. But she told yeah. me that that's not that's not like the way that you should approach it because then when you're doing it, you're thinking about the future, you're out of your space. So you want to be mm. pre present while you're doing it. So it's kind of a misnomer to have a, or a mistake to have a goal in, in yoga while you're actually doing it. I thought that was interesting. So Erica, I guess like based around that, could you tell us like what, what is yoga? Like, what does it mean to you? Well, I just want to clarify that um, I'm not necessarily an expert I yes, just am a, a practitioner. <laughs> You're a teacher. <laughs> so um, this is a pretty in-depth topic, and I will say I feel a bit of uh, anxiety over the responsibility to be uh, a spokesperson. So I'm just going to share from a personal experience and just what I've experienced and kind of what we shared in the show description, you know, what is it, does it really improve mental health and stamina and relieve stress and the, the whole question of enlightenment and, um, you know, it's an ancient practice. It's definitely been watered down. It's definitely been sold out. But what would we expect with something that was created, you know, um, Back in 200 AD was when mm. Patanjali wrote the Yoga Sutras, which is kind of a book about, I think, just being a decent human being. I mean, obviously, it's not that simplistic. But um, so basically, for me, the art of yoga is just a science de dedicated to creating a union in the body between the body and the mind and the spirit. And so the objective of the practitioner is to basically use the body and the breath in generating awareness. Mm. So mm. being present, which for Americans is obviously really hard and other people and outside America too, but I'm speaking from a purely subjective experience here. 
But um, as I was saying, you know, the, the Yoga Sutra um, was written by Patanjali in 200 AD, and basically it's a quote-unquote sacred text that describes the inner workings of the mind, and they provide what's called an eight-step blueprint for controlling restlessness in the mind and the body and reaching here, but how to attain enlightenment, whatever Mm -hmm. that means. So um, it's called basically the eight limbs of yoga, and I'm just going to run over what those are. And today we're hoping to focus on two aspects. And um, so the first one is yama, and that's a universal, universal morality uh, niyama, which is personal observances. So basically, you know, keeping a watchful eye on yourself. Asanas, those are the body postures, what most people do as yoga. Pranayama, which are breathing exercises and control of prana, which is like your life force, your energy, the chi, as the uh, Asians would say. Prathitara, which is the controlling of the senses, right? Your desires, your obsessions. Uh, Dharana, which is concentration and cultivating of inner perceptual awareness. Dhyana, which is devotion, meditation in the divine. And then Samadhi, which is union with the divine. So those are basically the eight Mm -hmm. limbs of yoga. And again, just as somebody who's been practicing I can't give you an in-depth description of each of those things. Um, just going with experience. And I never had the intention to be a yoga teacher. That was not something I was thinking about uh, several years ago. I did the training to be an EE teacher. I learned about breath work. And for most of our listeners, I'm sure they've done the EE program. Uh, kind of alongside that, I was going to a yoga class once a week because I was having back pain and I knew I needed to get rid of, you know, tension and tightness in my body. And I chose to do a training with uh, a male teacher who taught Ashtanga, which is a very intense form of yoga. It's all taught very traditionally, meaning everything is taught in Sanskrit. Uh, it's not about teaching you to become a teacher at all. It's about basically creating your own practice. So you practice six days a week at 6 a.m. for an hour and a half. Wow. And you spend what could be years learning what's called a primary sequence. And you do the same thing every single day for years. And you do not have a teacher teaching you. You basically memorize the poses. And the most important part of the Ashtanga practice is the breathing. What they call Ujjayi Pranayama Victorious Breath. Very similar to the EE breathing in the sense that you inhale through the nose. But instead of exhaling through the mouth with the mouth open saying ha, you close your mouth and it's almost like you're saying ha with the, the lips closed, if that makes sense. So it's that is the hardest part of the practice. So you're doing all these very strenuous postures over and over and over again. And you're breathing in and out through the nose with the mouth closed. And I'll tell you what, that is like the most disciplined part of the whole experience for me. 
and you really start to notice all what my teacher used to call your inner brat coming out. Mm. You know, everything was like, I hate this. I don't want to do this. And for whatever reason, at that time in my life, it was exactly what I needed. It was basically discipline of forcing myself to go. I started going once a week, then I was going three times a week, then I was practicing six times a week. And for me, it changed my life in the sense that it really helped me ground into my own body. I was kind of all over the place and stressed and had a lot of leaky energy is how I explained it. And this taught me how to actually physically ground in my body. And even though everything in me was saying, don't go to this class, I hate this, I don't want to do it, I, I pushed forward. And it was it was a very amazing compliment to doing the EE practice twice a week in addition. So cool. Wow. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> but I think it's hard. Yeah, it was hard. Do you and think I wasn't like 20 when I started. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. What um, were you saying, Jonathan? Oh, do you think that doing yoga without the mindfulness aspect of it, like basically just stretching, for lack of a better word, is is like a corruption of the practice? I mean, do you think that should not be done? It doesn't have to be like a super spiritual thing, I guess. What I'm saying is like, do you think the two are intertwined? Like if you do the practice, you're going to end up at the mindfulness anyway. I think you'll get more out of it. So for uh -huh. many years, I was into dance. I did modern dance and we did stretching, and that's a big part of any dance class you go to is you stretch in the beginning. I think really as you get older and for people who are, say, over 30 that start doing this kind of stuff, you are going to hurt yourself if you're not paying attention to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, that, and, and now as a teacher, so I do not teach Ashtanga yoga. I uh, do not teach power yoga. I, I am a really firm believer that you are going to hurt yourself if you do that, that you got to start. Yeah. It's like I always liken it to running a marathon without training. So mm, sure. you got to start small. You got to start crawling before you can start walking. And so I that's do teach classes now, and that's where I start. Basics, basics. That's well, pretty interesting have because injured themselves, like ruptured their discs, and trying to do handstands and contort themselves and all these weird shapes and all that. You can't do that. Sure. Starting sure. out, you can't do a split, Jonathan. Yeah, that's why when Jonathan <laughs> said that, <laughs> when Jonathan said that, I was like, ah, this is yeah. this is why. And I don't even like to call myself a yoga teacher. Because people look at you and they're like, mm-hmm, you're one of those, right? You must be vegan. <laughs> well, they, uh, one thing I thought was interesting is that, that uh, you know, to clarify, I wasn't, like, thinking I could just do the splits right now. I understand that it's something that you would work towards. But what I thought was really interesting, what you said, was that, like, you may not be able to do the splits. Like, mm -hmm. you know, genetically, physically, some people just can't do that. And then I was uh -huh. like, oh. <laughs> oh, like oh, like but the really lotus flower. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, I did notice when I was just doing some very basic stretching on the floor, the inside of my kneecaps 
were super tight. And I was like, oh, wow, I could really like hurt myself if I went too far on this. And that was just stretching out on the floor. I wasn't trying to do any complex poses. Well, yeah, I was a little kid. I used to do stretches. I had no idea what yoga was. I would just get on the floor and just contort myself and bend and twist and do all the kind of stuff. So I guess you can stretch. I mean, there's, you know, physical therapists that guide people through stretching exercises for back health and this and that. But I never done yoga until recently under the wise tutelage of Erica. I've done it a few times. <laughs> and I always thought that yoga was just some yuppie bastardized form of an ancient Indian practice. And I really didn't know what it was, but from everything that I've read about it and from doing it, it just seems like it's meditating and breathing while stretching. Exactly. I confess that I was, you know, very badly uh, biased against uh, yoga practitioners because they seem to be all vegetarians. And I thought, there's got to be something wrong about it. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with but um, I recently started doing some basic stretching exercises with a book called uh, Yoga 28-Day Exercise Plan by Richard Hittelmans. This is a very old book, actually. <laughs> and uh, I didn't even thought that you can learn yoga with a book like most people go to class or with somebody there, which I think maybe it's ideal. I don't know. I like doing stuff by the book <laughs> at your own pace, you know. I, I seem to have more discipline if I do it from a book. Okay, I'm going to do this today. And I was very surprised. Um, not like a heavy-duty testimonial like you, Eric, because you've done this for a long time. I've been doing it only uh, for two months. I think I'm, I'm finishing today, actually, if I have a time. <laughs> I'm finishing the 28th. Uh, days today mm-hmm. and uh, I could notice more self-awareness in my body like it was easier to meditate and especially like stretching muscles that I feel like I never stretched in my whole life I felt like I was having better posture and feel more uh, secure about myself when I you know go out there <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty great you know like something oh. that I never expected you know it's an incredible feeling when you really get into stretching a muscle that you haven't for a while and you just relax and let it, you know, <clears throat> breathe into it. And like when you feel like it hurts, you back off a little while and then you just gently like ease into it. And I'm not coming from a point of expertise. That's just how I experience it. The feeling is incredible. Your body is like, holy crap, you know, why have you been forgetting to do this? Yes. Well, yeah. what fascinated me about it and I think why I kind of stuck with it and I have gone to so many classes and all kinds of teachers and I've read a lot about it is really how we store trauma in our body and Mm -hmm. you know from being an EE teacher and doing the EE exercises we all are traumatized and so Mm -hmm. kind of studying alongside and believe me I have seen some crazy stuff (laughs) where I feel like the discernment that I've gotten from, you know, the SOT page and the the forum helped me have a very healthy skepticism about not getting caught up in in what you're talking about, Gabby. You know, Mm -hmm. the whole vegetarian thing. 
And we I've talked about this on the show before, but I was vegetarian in the past, so I kind of know that mindset well, for too. sure. <laughs> and um but I felt like I was really fortunate because I could be submersed in this whole world and I was submersed in it for about 7 years, you know, almost daily and just get something out of it that was beneficial to me and leave all the other stuff on the side, if that makes sense. Mm. So back to the Mm -hmm. trauma aspect. Um, For any of our listeners who have not read In an Unspoken Voice by Peter Levine, I believe it is. Is it Peter Levine? Mm -hmm. Anyway, that book really brought it all together for me. It was almost like a life-changing book because he talks a lot about how we store trauma in the body and how when you're doing certain stretches, Jonathan, like you spoke about, you have this, these sensations and, you know, your muscles are twitching and all these things are happening. And if you can breathe through that, and I don't mean like panting and dying, I mean like deep inhalation, exhalation, diaphragmatic breathing, you can let go of that trauma. And that's basically what happened to me even in this Ashtanga practice. As as intense as it was, I would have, and I'm just going to share a little personal analogy here, I would have pain, say, in my right big toe. Why I would have pain there, I have no idea, but it was this pain. And then I'd practice, and then it would move to the middle of my back, or it would move to my right shoulder. And then all of a sudden, the next time, it would be gone. So it was almost like I imagined, and I'm a very visual person, that this was something that was stuck in my body that needed to get out, but I wasn't really sure what it was or how to get it out. So I just kept going back to the mat and not even having a focus on it necessarily, but just really using the breathing and the stretching to get it out of my body. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There was a really um, interesting interview we looked at for um, preparation for this show. It's on SOD. It's called An Interview with Bessel van der Kolk. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, how Yoga Helps Treat PTSD. And he actually goes into the, that um, concept quite a bit, like the same kind of thing that you were talking about, Erica, the whole Peter Levine thing that, you know, that uh, when people have, have suffered some sort of trauma, you know, they don't realize that it's, um, you know, that's not, not the end of the story. Um, it's not just something that happened in the past, but there's actual like residues and imprints left behind in people's like sensory and hormonal systems. So that yoga is actually a way of kind of, you know, you, you take on these, these asanas, these poses, and it kind of forces your body into this position where it's almost like forcing you to deal with it. But because you're doing it in a, in a relaxed environment and you're um, maintaining the breath of not somebody who's panicked and freaking out, but somebody who is, calm and relax is kind of a way to revisit those traumas and work through them. Yeah. If I, was I understood fascinated it right. by that article as well, because Me too. Um, I, I just recently started teaching again and I'm teaching what's called a happy back practice. I don't even like to call mm. it yoga. And a lot of the women that I'm working with are over 65. And one of the things as a teacher that you really need to do to be a good teacher, and we know this from teaching EE, is that you have to ask the person before class if they have any injuries. And most people over 65 have some sort of injury. They have a hip replacement. They have a knee replacement. They have disc issues. And so you don't want to re-injure them because that's a big responsibility. 
And so you, I get feedback from them and this trauma article really helped remind me that certain poses put people in a very vulnerable position. And so like when, which ones child's pose he talks about, <laughs> what is that? That's where you are on your knees and you sit your butt on your heels. If you can, you can always use a pillow or a blanket and you lay down on the ground like a child with your forehead on the ground. Your arms can be out extended or alongside body. That is um, the pose of a child, obviously. And he talks about how this can be a very vulnerable state for a lot of people because they feel helpless or not in control or they're afraid. So I, I teach that pose a lot because it is a grounding posture where you can actually breathe deeply with your belly and open your mouth and, you know, do the ha breath the and, and have a lot of release. And there have been people in class who start to cry and you got to He talks about mm. in this article, how you have to be able to deal with that mm-hmm. and not, you know, run away. Oh my God, this person is crying. What do I do? And so I make sure to, and I don't have a lot of people in my class. I think the most I've had recently is 12, but you got to be able to remind them and I'll just quietly walk up to them and just say, you know, if this is uncomfortable and you don't feel safe here, don't do this. You know what I mean? Like, and the feedback I've gotten is that these women are just so thankful to be able to come to a class where they don't have to perform acrobats, <laughs> right? So I always thought yoga was like you had to do the splits, like Jonathan said, or, you know, stand on your head. And, and I really secretly, I teach people how to belly breathe and do the three-part breathing. Mm-hmm. I teach EE mm-hmm. essentially in shapes. So we do little shapes, you know, and... And I always remind people that come to class with the body you have today. So some people say, well, yesterday I could touch my toes, today I cannot. That's okay. It's all about just being with the experience in the moment. And I think that takes a lot of pressure off of the practitioner because they don't feel like they have to complete something. It's not about winning the race. It's a, it's enjoying the process. That I makes think, sense. Uh- one of the things that turns a lot of people off about yoga is all of the super svelte, the yoga teacher mm-hmm. uh, stereotype where they're like young, good-looking women with fantastic yeah. figures wearing their expensive <laughs> yoga clothes and their expensive yoga yeah. accessories and their vegetarians. Like there was this one article where the guy was like, it's uh, the whole yoga crowd promotes exclusivity and division and there's a lot of criticism yeah. if you're not a vegetarian or if you don't fit the stereotypical look of what people think of as a yoga teacher or a yoga practitioner i agree yeah that's why i didn't want to do yoga for the longest time <laughs> because of that and then when i was doing ee classes every time i had a yoga practitioner it was like oh my god you know <laughs> they were vegetarians or they were like this and that and oh I cannot breathe through my mouth I have to do it through my nose like the yoga practice so I'm like oh god but then you know yes I tried a posture once and I said oh god this feels good and yeah <laughs> so there you go but doesn't it seem like it's, it's oh sorry Doug 
No, that's okay. I was just going to say I think that that's that's actually a, a good indication that that yoga has kind of been cut off from its roots in a lot of way. Like the um, the yoga sutras that Eric was talking about at the beginning of the show. Like it, it kind of seems like it's it's kind of like taken. You know, it's it's like it was introduced into Western culture as kind of a good thing, and people started seeing the benefit of it and going with it. But then it just became completely Westernized and commercialized and. Anything, you know, remote, you know, it, it, it doesn't have a connection to that kind of past practice, that thing that, uh, the tradition that it, it, it kind of grew from. It's like, now it's just like, and yet another thing for type A personalities to compete over and get cliquey about and, you know, uh, everybody has to be wearing the, the right kind of outfit, have the right kind of yoga mat. It, like, it, it becomes a very elitist kind of thing. Well, they so actually... I think, yeah. They do have yeah. yoga competitions now because there was a video <laughs> of that. Of course, I they do. Oh, yeah, no. uh, they actually have competitions, and of course, all the practitioners that compete have the typical yoga look, like the super buff dudes that are really pretty and all that. And then the girls, and then they go on stage and they actually compete, doing like who can do the best poses or contort themselves the best, and they want a prize. And they actually want to eventually get sponsorship. There was this one guy that was on there who goes all around uh, competing in yoga competitions. He wants to get like Nike sponsorship, and he was like, "Oh, uh, you know, if this was some other endeavor, I would feel bad about taking sponsorship from Nike because of the way they treat their workers. But since it's <laughs> yoga, and it'll be advancing the cause of yoga, then I would go ahead and take their money. And they want to have yoga competition in the Olympics now. <laughs> uh, oh, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm Olympic gonna post. What, what was the name of that video? Erica's gonna post. I'm gonna post the, the link in the <laughs> chat because it's. It's a really good just depiction of how far out it's gone. Yeah. And um, it, it does on. seem like anytime you get, uh, you know, a bunch of people together and you give them the chance to like strut their stuff, they will and they'll corrupt whatever they're doing <laughs> to that end. You know, I mean, I think about like hypothetically going to see music, like you're really into a certain style of music and you go to see a show and you might be just there to listen, you know, and have a good time. But it, uh, for a lot of people, going to concerts has turned into a way to, like, look cool, you know, and socialize and, like, mm-hmm. be seen and be part of this image. That's the same thing with anything else where you get people together around one kind of topic, like um, going to the gym, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who really are actually focused on increasing their strength, working their body, that kind of thing. And they're focused on that, but there's a lot of people who just go there to get noticed, you know, well, and they yeah. a certain way. And you have like the, you have the pants that were a hundred bucks as opposed to 60, you know, that kind of thing. Well, they say the people yeah. that are in these yoga competitions, they realize that people criticize them and they say they're completely corrupting what yoga really is by being in a competition about it. But they claim that, oh, it's not a competition against other people. I'm competing with myself. I'm trying to be the best person that I can be, yeah, of course you know, you really challenge myself. But I'm thinking, like, why do you have to get up on stage in front of people to challenge yourself? You can challenge yourself in your living room. <laughs> Challenge yourself in your living room, exactly. And you don't have to be a poser. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how I feel about the CrossFit games, too. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I watched them last year, <clears throat> and they're, uh, you know, the feats of strength that they do are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but making it a, a, a televised, 
you know, national competition, mm-hmm. just something seems weird about it to me. But then there's a fine line too, because, you know, like say that with other things that are considered sports, like hockey or baseball or basketball or whatever, you compete at that sport, you try to up your skill, um, you know, you try to get really good and then you compete at a higher and higher level. And eventually if you keep going, you're going to end up on TV, you know, mm-hmm. or you're going to end up playing for money, you know, or something like that. And so where, where is the line? I mean, is, do you, do you think yoga is in that vein? Well, they shouldn't call it yoga. They should are? call it posing or contortioning. <laughs> right. They should join <laughs> Cirque du Soleil, but to call it yoga, I think it's gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. America's well, next top model. <laughs> yeah. But it's rude. It's not competitive, right? I mean, so that's, it seems silly to make it like hockey is competitive, no matter what, there's two teams. But yoga is not. <laughs> not <so>. at all. <laughs> a yoga face off. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. But I mean, you could, you could draw a, a comparison to other Olympic things that aren't inherently competitive either, like something like gymnastics, like it's an individual oh, sure. doing an individual thing. And, but then, you know, all you have to do is bring judges into it and suddenly it's a, a competition and, uh, I, sure. I personally think anything that requires judges shouldn't be in the Olympics. Not that I have any investment in the Olympics, but it's kind of like <laughs> it just brings politics into it, and it's not really about the performance anymore. But yeah. anyway, I digress. I think we should have athletic <laughs> showcases and not necessarily make them a competition. Like if mm-hmm. you want to show off how fast mm-hmm. you can run or how high you can jump, that's fine. Yeah. Yep. Well, Jonathan, so coming your, back uh, to your thing about CrossFit, which yeah. is interesting because uh, I had a lot of students that were doing CrossFit in addition to doing yoga, and yeah. most of them were injured in some way or another because they were just <laughs> going whole hog and... Um, you know, they were like, gosh, you know, after a year, I can't do this anymore. My, you know, my knees are falling apart or whatever. And <laughs> Well, CrossFit you know, is mean, crazy, man. It's so, it, so it, dangerous. And, and you really see that in the yoga world. Now they have all these events where you've got this headlining kind of like a rock fest, you know, <laughs> where you have all these superstar teachers and they do all these, you know, posing and then... The part that just kills me is like the whole quote unquote spiritual aspect. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, I always am in the back of the class right by the door just so I can run out if I get too overwhelmed by it. <laughs> but I, it, 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 you know, it's like this whole guru mentality of like this person in this $200 Lululemon outfit is going to teach you how to be more spiritual? You know what I mean? I mean, ouch. It's painful to watch, actually, and it really does a major disservice to the whole thing because, you know, they're telling you to breathe, and it's all about the breath, but really there's so many underlying things happening, and mind you, there's about 150 people in the class, right? And I... As a teacher, I'm looking around the room just thinking, how many people are going to blow out their hamstring today? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. not be able to walk tomorrow. Or, you know, it's like, again, back to that whole idea, like, you don't want to run the marathon before you start walking, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that kind of mentality, that, that North American mentality of push yourself, push yourself, make yourself better. You know, you got to... You know, no pain, no gain, those sorts of things. And it's really 
kind of antithetical to what my understanding of what yoga really is. Like it isn't really about, you know, trying to, to outperform the person on the mat next to you or like trying to get a personal best, you know, oh, I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta set my record. I have to twist my neck, you know, 10 degrees more than All I did yesterday. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it just, but it, it seems like everything that's kind of adopted by mainstream uh, North American culture kind of goes in that direction where suddenly it becomes competitive and suddenly it becomes about pushing yourself too hard. Like I did CrossFit for a while, but I never really got into that whole mentality of like, I got to be the best. And like really kind of pushing myself and pushing myself until I get injured. I was like, no, I don't want to get injured. I'm good with, you know, lifting this much, not pushing pushing it way past anything reasonable. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It, it just seems like it, it's that whole mentality that, 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 that Americans and, well, Western culture seems to push things. Totally. And that the totally fact agree. that they're pushing but, for this phony spirituality. I mean, what exactly are they trying yeah. to attain? Like enlightenment, whatever that means, or kundalini energy. Kundalini. <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> you, can't, you can't race towards enlightenment. I'm, meditation. And no, you got to get there before your uh, neighbor yeah. does. Yeah, meditating while stretching. I mean, there are benefits to meditating. You become more compassionate towards other people. You become more self-aware, less judgmental, those kind of things. But... What does that have to do with the commercialized aspect of yoga that we see today? Yeah, I agree. And what is it? I, I was just doing some research on it. I think um, in 2016, so this organization, they're called the Yoga Alliance. They certify teachers and they're, uh, or with Yoga Journal, which is like the magazine. It's like the people magazine of yoga, right? <laughs> If you ever see a cover, you always see a beautiful, thin lady doing some sort of pretzel shape, you know, and you're like, you Photoshop, no doubt. Yeah. Anyway, they did some research and they found that uh, in uh, the U.S., annual spending on classes and clothing and accessories rose to $16 billion. Last year, oh so God. it's big money. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying, these events, these like rock star events, cost you anywhere from one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty dollars a day to attend. <laughs> right. So you're spending all this money. You already have this very obviously affluent clientele that can afford to do that. And then you're telling them that if you just do, you know, this pose, you're going to attain enlightenment, which is Sorry, I just got to I got to make call any bullshit sense. on that. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> it almost sounds like Scientology like you pay you pay a, a certain amount of money and you get you know the good poses. Yeah. Nobody else can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or the secret knowledge, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's like saying if you're a really super duper basketball player like Michael Jordan, like if he can do a slam dunk 10 times in a row, he'll attain nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think you can see it, right? I guess the way I think about it, there's a there's another fine line type of scenario. So, like, if a certain practice takes somebody who's uptight in the world and maybe has some emotional issues, and <clears throat> they don't need to necessarily go, you know, through, like, what, a fourth-way practice or, you know, like, mm-hmm. meditate on a mountain for, for a long time or anything like that. If, it, if something like yoga takes that person and makes them a little bit more mindful, 
Mm-hmm. Personally, I'm totally cool with that. But you can see it when the results, you know, you get like the dude bro who does yoga and relaxes <laughs> and then goes to Whole Foods and they're out of his brand of pesto. And so he gets really pissed, you know, <laughs> and like, then it, then it's not working, dude, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. There yeah, is I mean, something. I it works. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I guess I think it works for some people, even if they're not like really doing the practice, it mm-hmm. may level them out. And that seems cool to me, but yeah, I agree with Erica, like where you're coming from. It gets blown out of proportion when people think that they're becoming spiritual, um, oh, but they're gosh. still completely, completely mechanical in the world. You know? mm-hmm. and, and they're really reactive. missing the whole point, right? I mean, that's yeah. the frustrating part is that <laughs> the, the possibility is there, right? I mean, even if you read Patanjali's Yoga Sutras or you read, uh, I recommended to Jonathan to read um, BKS Iyengar's Light on Yoga. And it's an old book. Mm. He was one of the first ones that brought yoga to the West. I mean, there were many. But, um, you know, it's a picture book, and he can tie himself into knots. He's from India. He grew up that way. That was his <laughs> lifestyle. You know what I mean? But really, it's missing the point. And, and from my understanding is the, the postures or the asanas were just an added benefit, but the real focus was the breathing. Mm-hmm the breathing exercises. Mm. And you can see why this is caught on so much in the West because people cannot sit still. I mean, I, mm, I yeah. know maybe Doug and Gabby, you want to elaborate on this, but when I first started teaching EE, I found that 45 minutes of practicing breathing exercises was way too long for most people to actually sit still. They couldn't do it. Their mind mm-hmm. was wandering. They were fidgety. They were thinking about doing the laundry yeah. at home or this or that or the other thing. So in my own experience, what I found worked is doing this small little micro movements and kind of what uh, Levine talks about in Unspoken Voice is this idea of somatics, right? So really small micro movements while you're doing the three-stage pipe breathing. So maybe you're rolling Mm -hmm. your head, maybe you're lifting your arms up and down, whatever it is, people have so much energy in their body and they can't relax because they're so driven by this whatever the fight or flight response or stress that they can't just sit and breathe and Mm. so Iyengar talks a lot about that that it's he calls it a moving meditation but really the goal of the postures was to exhaust the body to the point where you could sit and meditate Mm. Mm. that makes sense that's interesting yeah and don't forget that with the EE, I think a lot of people chop this part off, but at the very beginning of the video, there's stretching exercises that you do yeah, exactly. in order to yeah. get yeah. your body ready for the meditation. And essentially, and I'm to- yeah. totally giving out my secrets here, but I don't care because I'm not, I'm not trying to patent. I'm not trying to patent anything here. <laughs> Unlike some people we know <laughs> we'll get to. I, I do teach all of the movements in the ee video Mm -hmm. in my happy back class because they are proven to help people get into their body to to actually physically feel your feet and i know that sounds so almost childish and elementary but most people aren't living in their body a lot of people are living in their head or they're wandering around outside. And again, back to my story, that was me. I had so much nervous energy. I could not sit still. 
I had this really nice couch that I never sat on because I was worried about the cushions being ruffled or whatever it was. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm speaking real experience here. I could not relax. And, you know, not that Ashtanga was the answer for me. It just presented itself in that moment, and I went with it. And it, because of the intensity of the, the practice, by the end, after an hour and a half, I was so exhausted that I could lay down on the mat and do five minutes of meditation, and there was I could actually lay there mm-hmm. and sometimes yeah. fall asleep. But you know, during the EE classes, some yeah, it surprises me that some people give so uh, very good uh, positive feedback about the three stage breathing. Where on the third stage, you know, where you like. Um, try to air the apex of your lungs mm-hmm. so you put your hands behind your shoulders and most people like they don't even do that kind of stretching ever and they like mm. you know they're surprised that they feel good doing it like oh i think this was great you know mm. but your experience does resonate with me because in the end what i Um, what I did is that I practiced pipe breathing or EE doing like Iajutsu, which is a Japanese uh, martial arts. It's kind of like, it's not high intense exercise. It's just more like body movements, you know, Mm -hmm. like a kind of dance sort of thing, but you do it with breathing. Mm -hmm. And that's the only time when I could finally quiet my head down and like, okay, (laughs) it's like, I'm still moving, but I'm breathing at least, you know, Finally, <laughs> and um, and yes, I could describe some of my uh, my states. You know, like ADHD kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it's been until this point where I can I picked up this book about the yoga exercises, and I could like yeah sit there quietly and feel my body, and like basically I have more energy. I was actually surprised the other day. I did a shift in the emergency room, my last one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> There was a really bad accident in the night. Uh, a driver, a truck driver with 98 pigs, he fell asleep at going 100 kilometers per hour, and it was a really bad accident. So I spent the whole night uh, dealing with that. And usually, normally, I will at some point, like, you know, feel like I will collapse, you know, if I don't have some coffee or like I'll go outside and have a smoke or something. And this time, you know, I, I felt like uh, like my body could resist all the, tens- um, the tension that was required of me mm-hmm. in that situation uh, mm-hmm. without much problems. That was a first timer for me. I was like, oh, good. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if I age. Maybe I will be able to deal with it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, really cool. that's a good testimonial because it shows that yoga is a tool to add to your toolkit. It's not the one way to spiritual enlightenment it's something that you can use along with just meditation by itself diet uh, increasing your knowledge by reading whatever having hobbies being out in nature all those things go together to attain whatever kind of natural human state that you're going for it's not that yoga is the way to enlightenment if you do certain poses after a certain amount of time you're going to become some ultra spiritual being yeah, it's like the chatter says, uh, well, on our chat, uh, for Gurdjieff, our favorite, you know, <laughs> new posters open the potential for new inner states. It's funny because he described the work as like the art to see beyond the tip of your nose. And most people doing yoga nowadays, they, com- they get completely self-absorbed and just like look into mm-hmm. their, 
you know, umbilicus. <laughs> mm-hmm. And well, it should be the other way around, you know, like. Well, and that's really where, for me, I started to see the practice change was when, so when I first started, I would be on the mat and there'd be all these people in the room and you're looking around and you're watching what everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. And you, you're back to that, mm-hmm. well, oh, maybe I'll be able to do that someday. Or, or maybe you're not even conscious of those thoughts, but you're there's all these people around you doing all these crazy things. And then as you start to go deeper and you get that relationship with the breath and you start to realize that with the breathing, the stretching comes, the tension starts to release. Then for me, I had this kind of experience where everything around me was just kind of non-existent. You know, I was, I was in the relationship with myself, if that makes sense, and not worried about what my neighbor was doing or how they were behaving. And it mm. became that opportunity to connect with something. I don't know what it was, mm. but it was something where it was like, this is just this moment where I can feel these sensations, good or bad, because it's not always good for sure, you know, especially when you're yeah. pushing yourself past a comfort level. And I've definitely hurt myself doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. But now through that experience, I realize, and this is what I teach in my class is like you want sensation but you do not want pain and once you hit that Mm. threshold whether you're bending forward to touch your toes as long as you're feeling sensation and you're breathing the breathing's going to do the stretching and the longer Mm. that you can practice that so i've really gotten into what's called yin yoga or restorative yoga where it's much longer um staying in each posture that you start to tap into the fascia. And we had a a show on this in the past about the fascia is much different than stretching muscles and tendons and ligaments and joints, but it's getting into that connective tissue. And I'm kind of starting to see that that's where the trauma most likely is stored, is in that fascia. And it becomes like almost, dare I say it, like a a way to self-massage. So you have chronic back pain, And you do these little small movements with the breathing being the basis of the practice to just observe the pain, to breathe through it, to let it go on the exhale. And maybe after 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, you have a little, you're not suffering as much as you were before, if that makes sense. What about uh, these new faddish types of (laughs) yoga, like hot yoga or power yoga? Or beer yoga? (laughs) <laughs> or rage yoga. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we can start with rage yoga. <laughs> out of Calgary, Canada. Yay to the Canadians. <laughs> it was started by some woman. I guess she just uh, broken up with her boyfriend or her husband or something. And she wanted to go to yoga, but she thought it was all too uptight and too serious. So she opened up her yo- own yoga studio where she plays heavy metal music and she serves beer and liquor. And if the participants want to, they're free to swear and curse while they're doing their yoga poses. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, it sounds totally gimmicky. Um, yeah, I don't know how yeah, long it will it does last. Sound to- <clears throat> I don't know either. And, and 
it's it's like it it, do, it does just sound like a stupid gimmick, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's something to be said about a ten, being in a space where you can kind of release anger in without being inhibited. I mean, adding alcohol to it probably isn't the best idea, but <laughs> um, I could maybe see how like screaming swear words while you're doing yoga might. I mean, you, if you actually are sort of releasing kind of old traumas or something like that, then maybe that is something that that might have some benefit to it. The whole the whole beer thing I don't I don't think quite works, but uh. <laughs> Irish yoga, <laughs> drunken yoga. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it is a gimmicky thing. I think it's it's who can how can we attract every last little bit? Like we said in our description, you know, there's thirty two thirty six billion people in the U.S. Mm. doing it. I mean. That's a big market share. You know what I mean? If you can mm. get everyone to pay 15 or $20 to come to your Rage Yoga class and make a killing <laughs> yeah. in the process, you know? <laughs> what about hot yoga? Because I did notice I spent some time when I was on vacation once and they had a sauna in the house. And you get in there, you're all sweaty after a while. And I noticed I was able to like bend over backwards almost all the way down mm. to the floor. Sure. But... Is that a good thing to be doing, like in a class a few times a week? Yeah, I personally don't think so. I, I think it seems like and, more and, 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 Yeah, I think the problem with those hot yoga classes, and I don't even know if we should touch on Bikram here. We should. But, um, mm. you, the the heat makes you feel more flexible than you are. Yeah. So maybe uh, you can t- tie yourself in a knot, but. Maybe tomorrow you won't be able to walk as a result. <laughs> I, I'm not into the aggressive experience personally. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I know people love it. I mean, the guy has made millions. And maybe we'll tell <laughs> his story for, for people who don't know. But it, I don't know. I think, again, it's back to that idea. If you've been practicing for years and you know his 26 postures, which he tried to patent and all this, which is foundational of hatha yoga he didn't really patent anything he just chose certain ones and you go into a room that's 104 degrees or whatever you know you can do it sure but uh with the long lasting effects of that i don't know i don't just imagine the smell with all those people (laughs) in a hot room sweating (laughs) yeah isn't it crazy well i had so much uh just just crazy to me that you could make so much money off of something like that. You're like, here, this thing that everybody's already doing, do that in a, in a sauna, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. start raking in money. Like I know there's more, <clears throat> more than that, but it, it's totally yeah. just, I think it is one of those gimmicky things. And if you're like, you were saying you might be more, you might feel more flexible than you actually are. That made me yeah. think of, um, like if you're, say you injure a tendon or something. And so you're, you, you're on anti, anti-inflammatories of some kind that makes you not feel that. So mm-hmm. sure, you feel better, but then you may stress that out because you don't have the signals yeah. coming back from your body that are like, don't do this. Well, so, I had a friend who actually had exactly that experience. He started going really? to, um, to to Bikram yoga classes, the hot yoga, and at first, <clears throat> and it was for lower back problems, and he at first did notice some improvement, but then he said he, at one point he was in the class and just all of a sudden his back just blew right out. And, uh-huh. and he said it was like, like you know, it's probably the worst thing that he could have done. And, um, you know, he, he is obviously not a fan of the, the Bikram yoga at all, um, as yeah. a result. 
because he actually thinks that it promotes overstretching and like overusing muscles that really shouldn't be um, as as flexible as they are in that condition. Sure. I agree. hundred mm. percent. Well, about Bikram well, himself, <laughs> oh, yeah. Bikram yoga and one, that video that we watched or some of us watched to prepare for the show, he actually filed cease and desist orders against other yoga teachers that he knew to stop teaching his patented poses for yoga, which I thought was just ridiculous. How can you patent a pose? If I stand a certain way with my arms outstretched or my legs spread, is Bikram Yoga, is he going to come after me and say, don't stand that way? I patented that. If he sees you, if he catches you. <laughs> well, he won't be seeing you now because I just it, read some stuff, and this was the beginning of 2017, but apparently uh, a British woman who... Um, became the top legal advisor of his organization, um, which he made $60 million fortune teaching this over the years and had, Oh, I have to tell you, he had 43 luxury cars, which included (laughs) what? uh, 12 Rolls Royces, three Bentleys and two Ferraris. Um, She recently, (laughs) she (laughs) sued him for sexual harassment and she's not the only one that sued him. But she basically won. She inherited his 700 franchise Bikram Studios in addition to his his 43 cars, which mysteriously disappeared when uh, they went to pick him up. But um, it just speaks volumes about how far out it can go. And if you watch the Yoga Inc. video, you will see clips of him and is nauseating. I think it's He's nauseating. ridiculous looking guy. But yeah. it's no different than these... Uh, TV evangelical pastors who accrue all this money Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. like private jets and 500 cars and all these mansions. They're basically gurus, just like these yoga teachers Mm -hmm. get people to follow them, give them all their money. It's all just a big scam. I agree. And when they're just, they're just being blessed right for the service. That's why they get all that stuff. Oh, well, it's prosperity. (laughs) Yeah. It's all good. And, you know, most of the people that are doing yoga, and I think it's like 73% are women, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when this woman was talking about Bikram, and I just have to share this because it just encapsulates so much. Uh, She said that as his fame and wealth increased, Chaudhry, that's his last name, began to behave according to Jaffa like a drunk, a man drunk on power, making lewd pronouncements, including boasting that uh, 5,000 women were begging to sleep with him and that a single drop of his sperm was worth a million dollars. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so spiritual. That's ultra oh spiritual. I don't even know. Like, there's too many jokes. There's too many jokes for that one. <laughs> He really sounds like he's he's a candidate for a beating, honestly. (laughs) Well, there's another guy who did an Asara yoga named John Friend, and he was accused of mismanaging finances, uh, engaging in tantric sexual abuse with his female students, and creating a Wiccan coven, whatever that means. I don't know what tantric sexual abuse means. 
yeah. It's abuse that lasts for hours and hours and hours. I mean, this is just going to keep happening, right? There's always that portion of the population, you know, where you mm-hmm. can be like, uh, I don't know, you know, if you snort milk with cayenne pepper, it clears your liver out. You're going to have 20,000 you know, 20, people that are going to do that mm-hmm. <laughs> and then evangelize about it, you know. So it, there's always that, that group of people. It's just so unfortunate that there are those out there, you know, who would take advantage of that. I mean... Uh, I, I don't want to stray too close to a diagnosis, but this guy, Bikram, sounds at, at, at the very least like a malignant narcissist if he's not some kind of sociopath, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, it's interesting yeah. because, as Tiffany said earlier in the show, there's so he's the one that kind of got into the whole posing for competition thing. Mm-hmm. Like that was his organization that held these competitions and whatnot. Um, and to listen to the people defend him even after all of these things come about i mean to listen to them and well you know he's this that and the other thing but you know it's really great and i'm gonna and continue doing it instead of don't take, judge him <laughs> instead of taking the experience kind of as a learning lesson and maybe building on that and going in a different route so to speak i don't know it just I just shake my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I noticed one thing, I guess, to talking about like actually doing yoga and getting into it, even if you're not, you know, doing the full 100% practice. I mean, if you're at least like, okay, uh, let me rewind a little bit. To preface, Erica, do you think it's a mistake to look up yoga tutorials on YouTube? Like, should somebody really get into a class or is that okay as long as you're careful? I think it it really is about finding a teacher that is actually skilled in okay. what they're doing and has a pretty good foundation in anatomy and physiology and is kind of a realist. Like, I personally have never done any videos on YouTube, but I have bought lots of videos and watched a lot of different things. And I think, again, it comes back to discernment. And if you're watching someone or a teacher's teaching something and you start to feel like that kind of sick, nauseated feeling, good indicator that's not really what you should be pursuing. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like feeling sick and nauseated because they sound so new agey and yeah. goofy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, back to the article that Doug posted in the chat earlier about the, the man that teaches uh, trauma sufferers with PTSD, like the, 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 little amount of talking as possible. Mm. To me, there's nothing Mm. more annoying than somebody who just talks the entire time and is telling you how to gaze at your navel and you're going to, you know, experience this, that, and the other. Like, shut up. (laughs) You know? I mean... (laughs) I'm meditating over here. (laughs) It just becomes kind of like the mosquito in the ear. Now, again, that's just a personal thing for me. Another thing is the music. So been to a lot of classes and they play like tiffany was saying the rage yoga or this intense like i went to one class i love michael jackson but i don't need to hear it on 10 decibels while trying to focus (laughs) on balancing on one leg You, you see what i'm saying so it's like trying to incorporate all these things into something that just needs to be really basic it just needs i say i always say just stick with the basics 
because that's where you're going to start to see improvement, right? So as I was telling Jonathan the thing with the splits, like a good place to start is to try and bend forward and and breathe as you bend forward and notice your body's sensations. If you have to bend your knees, that's fine. There's no destination. It's about being with the experience, right? And having so those expectations is, I think, hindering. It's hindering of the whole process. Would you go as, as granular as to even say like, okay, my goal is to be more flexible so that I can play hockey better next winter. You know, is that is that even a little much? I should just not even... No, no, right I, I think that's realistic. I mean, it's like okay. people who stretch before they run. You know what I mean? You have your little leg stretches you do and all that. I think, again, it's just like, for me, when I teach a class, the first thing I do is I have people stand on their feet and just stand there, close their eyes, and land in their body. And so you start with mm-hmm. the diaphragmatic belly breathing. A good thing that I always suggest to people is just close your eyes and notice your breath. Like, where are you breathing? Are you breathing in your rib cage? If you notice you're <laughs> panting, try and slow everything down, right? So take a big inhale through the nose, exhale through your mouth. And just observe, become an objective observer of what's happening in your body. And then I remind them to find their feet, which sounds, again, very elementary, but you, a lot of people are just in their head or they're not even in their body. They're still at home worrying mm-hmm. about their kids or something. So with awareness, you know, then whatever it is you're going to do, you're you're in the experience in your body in that moment, working with what you have at that moment. And then from mm. there, and, you know, again, back to the breathing, you inhale, you lift your arms up, you exhale, you fold forward. You inhale, you do this, you exhale, you do that. So the the breathing becomes the movement that supports you, and then you don't hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's right. why I was never into Bikram yoga, even though they do do all the breathing and they tell you this, that, and the other thing. You start moving and you're doing all these crazy things. And before you know it, you're like tied in a knot. You have no idea how you got there and you can't get yourself out. <laughs> and you fall over or you throw up or whatever, you know, too intense. Mm-hmm. Be kind to yourself. Practice ahisma, as Gandhi says, nonviolence <laughs> toward the self. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, my own experience with yoga, I mean, I haven't, this is going back like 15 years or something like that. I started doing uh, yoga, going a couple of times a week to uh, classes. And I know you said you wouldn't start with Ashtanga, um, Erica, but I did. And <laughs> it, um, it was a beginner class though. It wasn't, they weren't, they weren't pushing you too hard or anything like that. So I was going to these kind of, I started with like a, an, um, an introductory kind of, uh, I think it was like a four week course or something like that. And then moved to kind of the level one classes. And I was just going cause I kind of enjoyed it. I wasn't like, um, you know, I didn't, I wouldn't say I had a goal or anything. I wasn't looking around being, I want to be able to do that. I was just kind of like, well, you know, I'll go and I'll do this stuff and it feels pretty good. And I, I enjoyed the classes. And then it was kind of like always in this class, they would, they would kind of take you to a certain step, like in the pose. And they said, if you, if you feel you can, or if you feel you're ready, you can try and do this. And it would kind of like, you know, intensify the pose a little bit. 
So I've been going for a few months and, um, we were doing the, the backbending one. I forget what it's called. The br- uh, bridge or something. Wheel, full wheel. Uh, wheel. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was kind of like, you know, I would always get myself to a certain point where you kind of had your arms kind of linked behind your back and we're, we're kind of thrusting the pelvis into the air. And um, they said, you know, if you th- think you're ready, you can kind of put your hands beside your head and, and try and actually um, get up onto your head, which is kind of like the next progression of the pose. And I was like, well, you know, I, I had never, I never would go that further bit. Whenever they said, if you feel like you're ready, I'd just be like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm good. I'm good where I am. But, but this time I was kind of like, well, maybe I'll give it a try. And I just did it. And I was kind of like struggling with it a little bit. And like the teacher just came over and kind of moved my hand like a centimeter to the right. And all of a sudden I was there. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. And that was the first time I'd actually thought to myself, oh, you can actually progress in this. And actually, you, you know, there, there are, you, you can get better at this and kind of, because I just kind of, I guess I just had this beginner mentality where I was just thinking that I was going to be at this kind of beginner level for the rest of my life. But it actually like, so I, I don't know, maybe I just kind of unintentionally had that sort of right attitude of, of not trying to push myself and not having a goal to, to be the most bendy guy in the room. Exactly. Well, and I think that's, that's a, a really cool. good teacher too. Mm-hmm. You know, that, yeah. that, that, that. Because in a class like that, you're going to have people at varying different levels, and some people can mm-hmm. do that, and others cannot. But to offer the suggestion, and then to actually come and assist mm-hmm. if they see mm-hmm. you're ready. And again, with the Ashtanga, because it is super intense. As and I had a really good teacher. Um, he would be like, "Okay, let's." Your breathing is all over the place. Like you're panting yeah. and you're panicking and you're not like, yeah, so you can sit in this lotus or whatever, but look at how everything within you is telling you not to do this. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. you can do this and you can start to what they call the oceanic breath, like you can extend and expand your breathing and then contract it and not be losing it, losing it, as so to speak. Then you can do it, but if you're not doing that, then you need to not be there. Because some Erica, people might have about- absolutely no trouble with the poses themselves, but they're really not breathing correctly. Exactly. And I noticed, like during yeah. some of the times that I've been doing yoga with you, that I can do the poses fine, but my breathing was <laughs> just like <laughs> not there at all, and I was not really in my body, yeah. so to speak. And that's why it's really important because you say several times during the, the class that it's a practice and you have to practice at it and not just practice to perfect the pose, but per- practice being in your body and concentrating on the breath. Yeah. Mm. And that's what I really admire about Iyengar. And with all these teachers, there are, you know, they're, they're humans, right? But he really stresses that you need to be comfortable there Mm -hmm. like like Mm -hmm. be like the tortoise you know it it's a progression it could take years it could take 20 years it may never happen Mm -hmm. as i was uh, sharing with jonathan you i can't do the splits i don't want to do the splits you know but each person some people are super (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) some people are super flexible like ridiculously flexible and they can do all those things yeah, they can do They're all those things. They're missing an enzyme <laughs> <laughs> in their collagen. You know, it's it's a, yeah, it's a hyper hyper extent uh, flexibility. 
but also, and also uh, genetically composition like orientals yeah. can have shorter legs mm-hmm. and western people can have longer legs that makes a difference in some of the postures you know yeah, mm. and, and one thing that I was taught by an Iyengar teacher, which they teach Hatha yoga, which I've mentioned here, which is basically a very specific set of postures that you spend at least five to ten breaths in each pose. And everything is about foundation, right? You have a block, you have a chair, you have all these what I call accoutrements to support you. You get into the pose, the teacher comes, makes a little adjustments like she did with you, Doug, and then you stay mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you notice all the sensations that are happening, and you notice your breathing, and you relax into it, and you'll start to notice as you relax into it, it gets a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And a little bit easier. You know what I mean? And then you may come the next day, and it's exactly the opposite. I mean, one thing I was told is the pose that you hate to do the most is the one that you really should do because it is pushing against those boundaries of your comfort level. And I don't mean by overstretching. I mean just by, I really don't want to do this right now. I'm feeling like a brat. And and, and to push through that, that's where the discipline comes in. And that's where, for me, Ashtanga was a very good teacher in the sense is I didn't want to get up and do that. But it was the discipline that at that time in my life I needed to do to teach me how to be in my body, essentially. Mm-hmm. I wonder yeah. if there well, there's this fundamentalist Christians and Catholic bishops that say that <laughs> yoga is moving people to the dark side. And women should not be doing Satanic. yoga. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if on a subconscious level, maybe they're rejecting the discipline and the focus and the stress-busting effects of yoga when it's practiced the way it should be practiced versus the stress-inducing you're going to burn in hell if you don't follow these <laughs> rules. <laughs> aspect of fundamentalist Christianity. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I think for for what it's worth, I mean, I, I grew up in that world. Um, <clears throat> and uh, anything that is seen to be tied to the mystical in mm-hmm. any way mm-hmm. is, pretty, is pretty much frowned upon. So I really yeah. think it's that simple. Uh, there's, you yeah. know, there's not a lot of like, Okay, let's think this out. Is yoga really that bad? There's not mm-hmm. none of that going on. It's like mystical. Okay, bad. Yeah, because you know? I don't even yeah. think they even really know what yoga is. Mm-hmm. No, no. They just see strange Indian dudes with dots on their foreheads bending around yeah. and chanting, and they think the devil. Well, there's also <laughs> that aesthetic, like asceticism, like a holdover from old Catholicism, where mm-hmm. anything that makes you feel good is bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that carries through to modern Christianity in a lot of ways, but uh, not to digress, but, uh, you know, yeah. The the idea that, that yoga is, a, is, you know, like a devil-inspired distraction for righteous Christian women is, I, just, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to say. Well, I do I think have a, a student currently who is what would be considered a fundamentalist Christian, for sure. And I always ask for feedback. And um, she gave me some really good feedback because she is dealing with trauma in her life. 
And she let me know that, you know, God is helping her and Jesus is there and all these things, but that she just feels so good (laughs) after Mm -hmm. that she never breathed before is what she said to me. And it was so Mm. kind of sweet in a sense where I obviously got the the message that she's been breathing all her life, but that she never, uh, Oh yeah. Taken. Yeah. I told her, keep breathing. No, that she had taken the time and, and she, this woman has gone to a lot of yoga classes, you know what I mean? But that, that she could take the time to breathe and be with the experience and realize, you know, that God is there for her for sure. But that to get rid of this trauma in her body, maybe she needed something different mm-hmm. if that makes mm. sense well maybe god led her to yoga <laughs> yes <laughs> no for real <laughs> i mean <clears throat> i don't think the two are so like it, it seems like there's a there's a bit of a, a dissonance here mm-hmm. um I, I don't see why christians can't incorporate yoga into their lives in a in a, a balanced way like i don't i don't i don't know to me it just doesn't seem like it's one or the other did jesus say anything about not doing yoga <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, that's a very nuanced way of thinking about it. In the Bible, thou shalt not be flexible. <laughs> it comes back to just like I said that that mysticism thing. I mean, pl- mm-hmm. plenty of Christian women were doing you know Jane Fonda exercises when she was putting those videos yeah. out. You know, and that was pretty hot. So that was probably. <laughs> <bad for them>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's silly. It's a silly thing. I think. Yeah. Well, there is laughing yoga. We forgot to mention that on the show last week. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I don't know, guys. Did we want to go into any of the the science of the breathing? I mean, I know we're we're coming up on our time here, but does anyone want to add to that or no? Not really. No. Well, I, just, I was going <laughs> to. I was Oxygen gonna mention something is good. The, Just breathe. The micro movements, the micro movements that we were talking about, I think are really fascinating. And for anybody who's like skeptical about that, because I know I was a few years ago, like, no, you know, correcting yourself by a centimeter, that's not going to do that much. But if, if any of our listeners, like if you work on a computer or at a desk and you are not aware of this or haven't tried it, just correct your posture and relax your shoulders. And it, there's a chance it'll blow your mind because you don't really ever do that. And if you just pay attention to that slight correction in your posture and like put your awareness, you know, into your shoulders and just relax them, you'll notice. And when you start to realize that there's hundreds and hundreds of those micro movements throughout your whole body that you're doing wrong most of the time. And mm-hmm. that over the course of you know, 10, 15, 20 years, that's why you get subluxations, you get cramps, you know, you get fascia that rolls up on itself and all these problems with your body. And it can be corrected in a large part, I think, by just adjusting the small ways in which you move. So any practice like yoga that concentrates on that, you know, it's just beneficial. Mm. Um, the hard part I find with is like just the standard, like, you know, I'm just, a, I, I feel retarded when, when I actually realize that I've done this excuse, but I'm like, <clears throat> oh, it's going to take an hour. Like I got to do something <laughs> for an hour today. You know? <laughs> a lot of We'll say, no, I'm too busy. I can't take that time. Yes, you can. You can take an hour. You know, even Elon Musk well, has an hour in the day. <laughs> yeah, that's the discipline aspect that Erica was saying. You know, yeah, most people bring up those excuses like, oh, I could do with an hour to do something else. 
or I found myself sometimes saying, "Oh God, I've been doing this for an hour." Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, it's, it's kind of in, 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 alongside the whole idea of meditation, right? So people read about meditating and they think that they got to sit for an hour and meditate. I, I'm all about the realist approach. Two minutes, good place mm. to start. You know, one mm. minute, half a minute, anything. It, it, the time constraint thing is I don't practice for an hour every day, but I do try and do something. For 10 minutes or 15 minutes or sometimes I just lay out my mat and lay there <laughs> and don't do anything. Mm. But it's like, okay, I'm feeling a little spacey or I need to get grounded or how am I going to pull myself together? And I have 15 minutes and I could do this, that or the other thing. But maybe I will just lay here and breathe, mm-hmm. do the belly breathing, mm. do the pipe breathing, you know, listen to the meditation, the pots, the prayer of the soul. I think... You got to be realistic and start with something that you can attain because otherwise yeah. no one would ever do anything. Mm-hmm. Back to that thing like running a marathon. I hate running. Running is just, I'm not into it. I don't want to do it. I can walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, yeah. I like to walk. So I find walking is enjoyable. If I had to run from an animal, I would. <laughs> but, you know, it's not <laughs> part of my... It's not part of my daily practice or discipline, and maybe that's something that I need to work on. I don't, you know, <laughs> but uh, I'd say start realistic, you know, start with five I, minutes, start with 10 minutes. All the classes yeah. that I teach, especially with the happy back sequence, everything I tell the students, this is something that you can do at home, especially like in the EE video, the cow and cat, where you're on your hands and knees and you're breathing your belly breathing and you arch your back like a cow and you round your back like a cat, things like that. You can do that every day for five minutes and you're going to get a healthier spine. Mm-hmm. And as Jonathan said, if you sit on a computer, you drive all the time. It's no, no shame in having a healthier spine. I mean, I was just reading about how at the end of the day we le- lose three quarters of an inch of our spine just from compression from being on this planet gravity Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and when you go to sleep at Mm -hmm. night your spine regenerates itself and it stretches back to that three quarters of an inch and that's why you have to adjust your mirror when you get into the car i never i never thought Mm -hmm. of that you know what i'm saying (laughs) so so (laughs) i thought it was just water weight (laughs) (laughs) i I never knew that either i was like wow that's so cool Another mm. cool fact that's going to blow your mind, unless you guys already know, is that the spine is the first thing that develops in a baby in the womb. Mm. And from the spine, mm-hmm. everything develops from there. So the appendages, the limbs, the arms, the legs, everything comes from the spine. So your spine is pretty important. <laughs> yeah. Kind of need it. But just doing things like you were saying, Jonathan, when you notice you're slouching or you're hunching or you're you're doing these bad postures, it takes work to have good posture. Mm-hmm. And and it, back to that discipline of just, okay, I'm going to straighten up my spine. I'm going to roll my shoulders back, you know, things like that. That is practicing yoga. Mm. I tell you what, nice. <laughs> I want to do yoga so bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, everybody, roll out your mat. No, just kidding. Yeah. 
So there, there are some there are some small things that I do that I find beneficial. Erica, like you were talking about, just find if even if it's thirty seconds here and there. Um, one like between the dining room and the kitchen in the door frame there, we have a uh, one of those portable chin up bars that mm-hmm. kind of hooks onto the top of the door, and it's mm-hmm. just in the doorway. So when we, we, you know when I'm walking back and forth, I'll take a second to put my hands up and stretch my arms out, or maybe like hang to loosen up my shoulders. And it's, you know, it's literally like five or 10 seconds as I'm going into the kitchen. But I find that to be really beneficial. Or like if you have a staircase in your house and, it, you know, if you go up and down quite a bit, when you hit the bottom of the staircase, you know, just raise your foot up, you know, one foot up like one or two steps more than you normally do. And then just kind of stretch your leg a little bit and then walk mm-hmm. up the stairs, mm-hmm. you know, like little tiny things throughout the day. Um, or like a standing desk. Like I use a standing desk in my office, and I find that to be really beneficial. Um, then you have a stool if you want to, like, take a seat. But most of the time, you stand and you do your stuff. And you would you would think, like, boy, if you know if you're standing for four hours straight, it seems like it would get tiring. It is if you're not used to it. But once you get into that, then it becomes natural. Mm-hmm. Well, before we go out, I want to just share a few things kind of just some notes that I jotted down that I think are beneficial. And and this is things that I remember, but that other people can remember too about this whole concept. And, and I'm one of those people too, that I'm almost embarrassed to say that I'm a yoga teacher because it, it, all these connotations come up and, and I wish it could be called something different. So if one of our chatters has some great thing that we can call it, um, but what did we are, say before the show is like integrated body dynamics? Or <laughs> yeah. ah. Well, and that's why I uh, used to teach a class called breath and body movement, which is essentially EE. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now I'm doing this happy back and I don't call it happy back yoga. I just call it happy back because everyone wants a happy back. Right. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Because we do have to live in these vehicles and they do have to get around. You know, we do have to function in the world. And why not have a happier body as opposed to an unhappy one? Well, one of our chatters wants to call it body dynamic supervisor. (laughs) 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 New word for yoga teacher. So I just want to share these few things. And these are kind of in a lot of different literature when you read about yoga. But um, this came from... Iyengar, who I mentioned before, and and he wrote Light on Yoga, a book, but he talks about letting the breathing do the stretching, and I've mentioned that a few times in the show today. But he says yoga basically emphasizes being comfortable in your body and providing the appropriate opportunity for your breath. So when we get into a pose, first we pay attention to the breath, And um, we begin working on making our breath rhythmic, right? So connecting with that inhalation, the exhalation. And then the gentle and rhythmic movement of the breathing eventually uh, relaxes the tension, relieves the tension. And with consistent practice, our flexibility increases. Once we relax and let go, when we stop fighting and surrender to the movement of the breath, we achieve the maximum benefit of practicing asanas, which are posers, poses. (laughs) Um, One last thing, the very moment you take a mindful breath, you begin to practice yoga. Oh, I like, sweet. (laughs) 
That was pretty good. I want to do yoga yeah. this weekend. Okay. With the <laughs> E. Yeah. I want to do yoga and then do EE e. right after each other. Yeah. In just 10 minutes. Just 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> so, um, Erica, again, I guess if you could repeat the name of that book again if anybody wants to check it out. Oh, it's called Light on Yoga by B. Light on Yoga. S I N G A R I Y N E G A R, I believe. Okay. And if people want to go to a class, mm, um, I would say Iyengar trained teachers are really good because, as I mentioned earlier, they use all these props. So blocks and straps and blankets and pillows and chairs and all these things. And they teach you the foundation, basic foundation, so that you are comfortable and you can do it with ease and you can let the breathing in the body adjust. And then if you want to do power yoga in 10 years, you won't hurt yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, what was, can you repeat the title of the book? I just posted it in the chat. Oh, (laughs) Good move. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's you know, it can be a little out there like anything, but just, you know, that he has all the pictures of the basic foundation postures and and the if you want to pers- progress into more stuff. And, again, for people who are super flexible, who can already do all those things, my suggestion is to really start to use your core strength. So for people who are very flexible, um, a lot of times they don't use their core strength or that muscle in their belly between the belly button and the pubic bone to make those movements. And so that's kind of a next step up with the practice is really developing the core strength to do those more challenging poses without relying on your flexibility because what will happen is you will after many years it will things will start to disintegrate Mm. Hmm. all right well i think we've had a really good discussion around this topic should we uh go to the pet health segment for today and then we'll wrap it up when we come back sure cool sounds good Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. The spring is here. Along with it, various issues that arise with melting snow and awakening critters and allergies. Listen to Dr. Andrew Jones to learn more about top problems you should be aware of when it comes to spring and your dog's health. And have a great weekend and springtime. This is Dr. Andrew Jones. In this edition of NRE Secrets, I'm going to be discussing five common springtime hazards for your dog. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to my channel. For those of you who are new, welcome. Today's video is spring. First of all, I'm so happy to see that the snow is finally melting, at least down low, and the sun is out. But in in this time, as the snow melts, it brings about four or five pretty common hazards that you should be aware of for your dog. So what I brought over today is Pippi. She's behind me. And there she is there. She's our neighbor's dog. 
So Pippi loves to eat stuff. She loves to get into stuff. She's going to be a great example for me to use as far as to show you what you need to be aware of because if someone's going to get into something, it's going to be Pippi. This one I want to discuss is antifreeze or ethylene glycol. So right now as the snow melts, I mean this is the time when you're really likely to see it. Um, so as you can see in the background, there's my car. We got Pippi sort of sniffing around, looking to see if there's something she could consume. And, you know, as the snow's all melting and there's a whole lot of fluid coming behind that vehicle. So if this was an older vehicle or someone really wasn't being cautious and putting in the antifreeze, it'd be really easy for some of that antifreeze to accumulate it underneath the vehicle on that frozen ground. And now is the time that it's melting and much easier for your dog to potentially get into. The big thing with antifreeze is for most of the time it's going to be a greenish looking color. So just be really aware looking around for it. And especially when you're walking your dog. If you suspect that your dog has gotten into anti antifreeze, you need to be seeing your veterinarian as soon as possible, inducing vomiting. You have a really short window of time before it does pretty serious and, and in some cases un often permanent damage to the kidneys. The second thing I want to have you guys think about are ticks. Right now, as soon as it gets warm, that's when they're awakening after sort of just hanging out on those tree branches or stick branches or wherever. And I mean, they're waiting to attach onto a deer and or your dog uh, for a blood feed so they can sort of continue their life cycle. So right now as it's getting warmer, this is a time when you're going to potentially see them. So with having Pippi, you know, hanging out underneath those bushes, uh, once again, that's potentially how she's going to get her, give herself a tick. The easiest thing I suggest for ticks is just thoroughly checking your dog after they've been outside. Especially if you're going into areas where it's, you know, where it's bushy, you know, ticks are present. Any of those really hotter south-facing slopes, just you just you know thoroughly going over your dog, especially going underneath those ears, those cracks and crevices. They love to go around the head, hide under the flaps of your dog's ears. So just really thorough, thoroughly checking them every time you're out before you start thinking about some of those toxic insecticides. The third thing I want you to think about are parasites. Uh, so right now, if you look around, you see all this water running off. Yes, there's also dog poop in areas where probably shouldn't be but I'll show you some here so Pippi who's liking to check stuff out I mean she just as soon lick something you know some of that water running off or having a little extra sniff of what's on the ground real easy way for her then to ingest some type of internal parasite and typically a, a, da a dog roundworm um, yes they're very easy things to treat I mean it's one of the safest conventional veterinary medication that is used for treating roundworms, pyrantel. As you guys can see there, Pippi is also checking out whatever's coming out of the snow. Uh, the other point I wanted to mention was salt. So a lot of people are we were using salt just to keep the ice off and especially on our, our paths, on our, our walkways. So you can have really high concentrations of salt. So a couple issues there. First of all, it can, it can make your dog sick, just consumes enough salt. Secondly, it can really be quite irritating for their paws, especially if we're dealing with some of those chemical de-icers. So if you see, sort of, a, it look, almost looks like it's a whitish salt-like salt -like sort of residue on the, uh, on the path or on the road, just, just really thoroughly wash off your dog's paws after going out for a walk. And it's not a bad idea, period. Just to do anyway, especially this time in the spring. Good girl, Pippi.
And I think Pippi would be pretty good about letting me do it. Uh, he's also excited because she knows I've got some treats. Good girl, Pipster. There's actually supposed to be five points, but there's five and six things I want to discuss. Uh, so in particular, if you're, you have a puppy, the big concern I would have would be for a, a virus called parvovirus. And, and it's a virus that lives pretty heartily uh, in the soil. And it's the one vaccine that I strongly recommend all of you puppy owners get. I mean, there's usually a series of two boosters at eight weeks and 12 weeks. Um, and, but it causes a pretty serious bloody vomiting diarrhea. And, and some puppies die from it. But it's fairly easily preventable with with those two single dose vaccines. Pippi, you know, is an adult dog. She's been fully vaccinated as a pup. She's going to have great immunity. Generally, for most most dogs, 95% of dogs, if they're going to get parvovirus, it's in that first year of life. That's when you look want to look at getting those two vaccines. And after that year of life, either one they've been exposed to it because it's pretty ubiquitous in the environment. So then they've already got natural immunity. Um, or two, you've had those series of puppy boosters, and you're going to have your dog's going to have more enough than lifelong immunity to prevent them from ever yet ever getting parvovirus. And the last one I wanted to discuss was compost. So once again, you've got these composts that have been frozen or under snow all winter. Snow is melting, and sure enough, they're in different states of decomposition. Some have had bacteria working on them, some haven't. So you can have a fair amount of mold in some of these composts. Be quite toxic to our dogs. You know, real common reason why I would see dogs on emergency call here in Nelson was they'd be getting into compost, they'd be ingesting some type of fungus or mold, something that's not composted properly with bacteria and causing them to seizure. Thank you guys for watching this edition of NRA Secrets. If yet you do so, I encourage you to like this video, click up there to subscribe, and lastly, go ahead, click that link in the box below. I can send you my free books and videos on how to heal your dogs at home with my top natural remedies. Healthy, healthy goats. <laughs> well, thank you, Zoya. That was really informative. Um, <clears throat> I guess, uh, do we have any last words on, on yoga? Encourage people to get into it, but be smart mm -hmm. uh, and don't get taken in by the, the new age mumbo jumbo. Mm. And we do have lots of articles on SOT about the benefits for your brain and your body. It's being taught uh, to veterans coming back from wars, it's actually gaining acceptance in the military as a way of treating post-traumatic stress syndrome. So, mm. And do the EE. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, any, <clears throat> for any of our listeners who haven't uh, heard of EE, uh, what we're talking about is areolus, uh, and it's, uh, you guys correct me if I get this wrong, E-I-R-I-U-E-O-L-A-S.org. EEBreathe.com redirects e you there. Yeah, EEBreathe.com, yep. So check it out, it's a great program. And do those mm -hmm. little exercises in the beginning of the um, the video sequence mm -hmm. because that's a really, yeah. really great place to start. And if you have any sort of exercise regime already, it's just an added benefit. And um, mm -hmm. I recommend if you're into writing or journaling and you start a, a little practice 
to just write down afterwards what you experience and keep like a journal like we've talked about in the past about you know diet people do it with what they're eating and what makes them feel good and what doesn't and i find that's really helpful not so much judging your progress but just having a a documentation of of what you're experiencing sure definitely all right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up for today. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for our, to our chat participants. We had a pretty busy chat today, so that was nice. Um, be sure to tune into the SOT Radio Show on Sunday at noon Eastern time. Uh, if you are not in the Eastern time zone in the U.S., go to radio.sot.net on Sunday. It'll show in your local time zone what the airtime is there. And uh, wishing everybody an awesome weekend. We will be back next week. Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye.